What's up, everyone? I'm Catherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode because I find it super interesting talking about the music industry getting involved with blockchain and how they can use this technology. We have Benji Rogers from Dot Blockchain Media on, uh, and he's really cool, really fun. We talk a little Britney in sync, so you know I'm going to love it. Uh, we also have Todd McDonald on, uh, and we're talking about recent blockchain news to keep you in the know so you sound educated. Let's get to it. Let me know what you think. Todd McDonald, how are you doing today? Catherine, I'm doing well. That's great. How's your week been? It's been okay. I just had some iced coffee, so I feel much better now. I'm ready to talk all things blockchain. Me too. I'm so excited that uh, we have iced coffee in the kitchen for a little while. We didn't, um, and the, the iced coffee keg almost exploded on me. It it becomes kind of like oxygen in the afternoon. Yes, it definitely does. Um, I'm happy your week has been going well. My week has been a little crazy. Really? Yeah, it has. And people have noticed. Yesterday, about five people asked me what what my problem was. Well, now now you're in your safe space, which is our podcast studio here. Yeah, thank goodness. Yes, and here no one can see you crying or hear you, so it's fun. (laughs) You'd be surprised. (laughs) People are like, what's that wailing coming from the studio? Just kidding. Love my job, even though sometimes it gets stressful. So let's move on from me crying in the mm-hmm. studio to... Excellent, excellent intro. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what have you been reading this week? Let's see. Well, one thing that's been in the news has been the launch or the sort of launch or the kind of launch of EOS. Mm-hmm. So are you familiar with EOS? Uh, not so much. Well, one, one way to sort of ground your understanding, uh, EOS was one of the platforms that was featured in uh, the... Not John Stewart, who's the other guy? The British one. Around uh, uh, making fun of all things blockchain. Should have um, known that. Yeah, and so <laughs> made famous by Brock Pierce because he was talking about things like a chestahedron, which is their uh, which is their logo, uh-huh. the chestahedron. Interesting. Um, yeah, you should check it out. It's a great video. I'm um, and last week tonight, that's what it is. John Oliver. Oh, yes. That that would have been really upsetting for me if I couldn't remember that. And so EOS has been the never-ending ICO. They've raised around $4 billion of dirty (laughs) fiat. Um, (laughs) And, well, it's kind of – it's been great to watch because of how they've tried to launch this. And in essence, they're launching their network on the back of Ethereum. They launched an ERC-20 token, raised a bunch of money, had this sort of weird daily – fixing thing where they were trying to raise money against a token that was sort of live, but it wasn't really. Mm-hmm. And they were also launching a decentralized yet centralized network, which has 21 super nodes where f- only f- it, it's it's it, like most things in, the, especially in the crypto space, it's a real time experiment with tons and tons of other people's money. So uh, it's got some really interesting tech. Uh, Dan Larimer, who's I think he was the guy behind it, is is a very sharp guy. But it's trying to pull off something where it's trying to use delegate, delegated proof of stake. So it's there's a there's kind of a heated debate in the, in in some circles <laughs> where if proof of stake can work at all, and they're trying to use a delegated proof of stake and how that evolves into a centralized format or not. Um, also, I think it's going to be interesting to see if people care how centralized or decentralized it is, if if it's better, yeah. faster, cheaper. So all this is going on, um, and for me. It, Watching the different communities talk about it is also quite, uh, I think, illuminating because um, 
I've never really seen before where one open source project launches on the back of another open source project, Mm -hmm. but in a way where they're monetizing their project before it even launches. And as soon as it launches, all the other communities start attacking it. So there's this big um, uh, contest around all these different communities fighting each other of who has the right opinion. So (laughs) it's entertaining. No one knows how it's going to evolve, but we mentioned this a few weeks back around is there any loyalty in open source and not only open source, but open source smart contract platforms? Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see uh, how much attention uh, uptake that the EOS community gets because they're yeah. trying to grow it in a sort of somewhat inorganic way. So that's what's been going on. There's a lot. There's a lot. So you can you can have the John Oliver level of, of uh, entertainment <laughs> <laughs> all the way down to how this is an experiment in real time of different consensus mechanisms uh, into business models, into community models and all that. Wow, so definitely I definitely need to, to learn more about that. Um, in it's other all about the chestahedron, <laughs> which is the beating <laughs> so heart bizarre. of the EOS community. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, also in the news uh, was that Microsoft announced that it had reached an agreement to acquire GitHub. Yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Many garments were, uh, what is it, uh, rendered, wrenched? No, something else. Uh, I never were, really know where no. you're going with these things. So there was there was a lot of angst on Twitter because yeah. uh, some large evil corporation was buying GitHub, uh, which everyone feels is a decentralized um, platform, but it's actually a company yeah. <laughs> of not that many people. But uh, so congratulations to the GitHub team. First off, yeah, it's very exciting, incredible. Um, and so there's a lot of back and forth, and it's kind of in some ways probably similar to people saying they're going to move to Canada if. X gets elected. It actually mm-hmm. doesn't, never really happens. People probably aren't going to leave GitHub now that Microsoft owns them. Totally. But Microsoft, on the other hand, is they're extremely excited, and the last thing they're going to want to do around GitHub is ruin what makes it special. Mm-hmm. And it's special because of developers. So Steve yeah. Ballmer has this famous <laughs> scene where he he tells the world that it's all about developers, and it truly is for Microsoft. Yeah. Um, especially now with how they're lining up the company. Uh, but it, this is all really just an excuse for me to. Uh, to bring up my man crush, Ben Thompson, uh, who writes a newsletter. <laughs> and it, once a week it's free, but you can pay, you know, don't be cheap, sign up for it, Stratechery. It's <laughs> worth all the money in the world. Um, and he has a piece called The Cost of Developers, which he describes kind of why Microsoft is doing this, mm-hmm. why they're doing this versus, say, what Apple is doing, and talks a lot about platforms versus aggregators, which is a topic he spends a lot of time on. And the reason I'm obsessed with this is because we're a platform, yeah. right? And so it's any platform has a, a three-sided effect. You have the platform uh, developer builder, that's us uh, here with, uh, with Corda. And you have to build, you have to build a community of, of, the, of the builders, build the building community. So those are the app builders, the folks that are building Corda apps. And the last piece are the users. You need to get to them. So in the blockchain case, it's even more complex because it's not just one user that has to say yes. Multiple people, multiple users have to say yes. So uh, it's a it's a puzzle that's really fun to try and solve, and that's what we're doing here. So I would read. It's called the Cost of Developers. I'd read the article if you can find it, mm-hmm. uh, and if you have to pay for it, um, skip the latte and buy a subscription. Um, you, <laughs> you can, can find it. it online in stratechery.com. Yeah, terrible name, but yes. Uh, yeah, it took me a little while to figure out how to say it, but I can confirm that Todd does give Ben Thompson plugs <laughs> um, outside of the podcast as well. So yeah. definitely a good read. Uh, moving on later, actually, on the podcast, mm-hmm. we have Benji Rogers, who you introduced to me, yep. and they just made an announcement. Uh, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, so um, I, I think 
one of the things I enjoy, I, I enjoy a lot about what we do, but mm-hmm. you, you get to meet really interesting people. So Benji, you, who the folks will be hearing mm-hmm. uh, in their uh, AirPods later, um, is, is fascinating to see how he's approaching the problem that he's trying to solve. And Dot Blockchain is, is looking to to uh, flip or rearrange the value chain when it comes to, you know, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but, you know, royalties in music and video and, and art, really. So yeah. it's not as much, uh, I think, some of the things that maybe Consensus is looking at. It's 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 similar to empowering the, the artist. Um, his his take is interesting. He probably talks about this. Is like it's just allowing people to pay for things <laughs> when they want to, yeah. because it it's hard. It's it, a lot of times piracy happens because it's just easier. People will be happy to pay. So I think going back to the Ben Thompson example, yes. I'm very happy to to pay for the subscription to that content. Um, and so what Doc Blockchain is trying to uh, do is is utilize blockchain technology. Currently, the, you know, this is they're working with Intel as a partner of ours on their mm-hmm. Sawtooth technology to be able to create really a global view of uh, the rights to music and yeah. uh, how pervasive music is with everything we're doing within video and music is always around us. So how can they, yeah. how can they help uh, connect? It's just going back to a lot of the supply chain stuff. How can you connect a supply chain from mm-hmm. someone in their bedroom creating a track that you, Catherine, want to use on something. I remember, yeah. was it a few months back, you were trying to put this podcast together yep. <laughs> and you were searching for theme music and trying to find yeah. something you could buy. Relentlessly, literally. It took me a very long time to land on this. Yeah. I wanted someone to just create me a little jingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a difficult problem to solve. So they're, they're, they're yeah. trying to do it in, 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 in a different way. And it's all about using technology to solve coordination problems. So that's what they're they're looking at. And Benji's a super cool guy. I met him at South by Southwest. Very I just cool. want to say that so I can kind of be cool as well. Confirm that you were at yeah. South by we, Southwest. We call, it, we call it South by. So <laughs> oh. It'd be embarrassing if you call it South by Southwest. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I've never been. Yes. I'm not that hemp. But. Right. So I was, you know, I was introduced to him by, by <laughs> Kelly, Kelly Olson at, uh, at Intel, who's, um, mm-hmm. who's another part of, uh, part of our partner network. Uh, yep. He's a great guy as well. Uh, lives in Portland and has a beard, surprisingly. Um, so uh, I'm interested to listen to what he has to say as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. So uh, don't stop listening once Todd finishes. Everyone. That's what I do. Usually, <laughs> yeah. after can't I can't hear myself, that. I just turn it off. Just act like you do for my own sake. Okay, cool. Um, so I've read a few articles this week, one being... Um, an article on Fortune about Frank Abagnale, the um, nail, Abagnale, we just went over that. Abagnale. Abagnale, um, who <laughs> was portrayed by Leonardo, the Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio, and catch me if you can. So I think it's really funny that the article is called um, security expert Frank Abagnale. Um, you'll see blank- banks all move to blockchain, um, which it doesn't obviously mention R3 in the article, but I think it does make a case for us. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got us in his mind. Um, But basically, he's just talking about how banks are going to eventually move over to blockchain and um, giving advice because that's what he does. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about he made, well, he made the beginning of his criminal career on kiting checks all over the place. Yeah, so he knows. Excellent movie, by the way. I watched it uh, last month with my kids. This makes me want to watch it again. Yes, and and you can watch it with with little ones as well. I mean, for For the 40-something-year-olds out there, you can watch it with your own cousins. Um, (laughs) And, of course, I mean, we still live in the age of checks, and I think maybe those those folks 
listening that aren't in the United States of America would probably be surprised at how often checks are used yeah. here still. So For my <laughs> rent. Really? I don't even have checks. My sister, I live with my sister, and my sister pays our rent every month on checks, and I just Venmo her. That's unbelievable. That's <laughs> you crazy know. to me. I know. We have to wait for our, rec che- our rent check every month. Yeah, and it's um, too damn high, I'm sure. It is too damn high. Um, but yeah, I think that's interesting. I just like that um, he's talking about blockchain right now, <laughs> as yeah, exactly. for everyone else. Yes, we want uh, reform criminals to talk about blockchain as much as possible. Yeah, why not? Um, and then another thing that I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. just because Howard Schultz um, is leaving Starbucks, and this article um, starts anti-Bitcoin pl- pro-blockchain Howard mm-hmm. Schultz to exit Starbucks amid rumors he's planning on a presidential run. This is political, and I think they're try- kind of trying a little too hard to pull us into the yeah, blockchain thing. Yeah, that's okay. I'm going to go with it, though. Yeah, I um, love Starbucks, so. Do you? Well, I like their, to be honest, yeah. I went to school in Massachusetts, and everyone there Duncan. drinks Duncan. Duncan's the worst. Yeah, but so I got kind of used to it, and now that I'm here, I just drink the kitchen coffee, but if I need something, I would oh go to God. Starbucks. That is the corporate sludge. You can't do that. Um, <laughs> so, I, it, well, he's a man after our own heart, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that a lot, a lot of this innovation is not going to, is going to be coming from organizations like Starbucks. Yeah. Right? So they have... They have the customer, right? And they've already done a ton of experimentation when it comes to point-of-sale payments and identifying their end customers with giving away all their cards and loyalty points and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you know someone like Howard Schultz mm-hmm. knows, knows the power of this. And it actually gave me an idea of Ooh. a coin. We should, we should launch a PSL coin in time for the autumn. My, that would be the first time that my daughter would be interested in blockchain if we had a pumpkin spice latte. That coin. took me one second to figure out. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. I'm down. Okay. Let's, let's do just it. get Howard involved. Yeah, I know a guy. Oh yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking uh, next week, week after. Yep. Great. And uh, hashtag PSL coin. I am here with Benji Rogers, who will give us a different use case for blockchain technology than what we've discussed so far on life in the fast chain. So I'm very excited to get going. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. So I am a little nervous, and you've already got me even more nervous because you obviously know a lot more about uh, sound than I do. So hopefully this studio is set up uh, appropriately. It's all as it should be. Okay, good. But Life in the Fast Chain is the greatest musical um, uh, um, <laughs> pun I've heard in a long time. So that's absolutely superb. Thank you. Thank well, you very much. The original, when I was um, developing our project, we were we sort of had the picture of New Kids on the Blockchain. There was that one. Oh, there was I all like kinds that of, one. Uh, um, and I don't know if you remember that there was actually a Beyonce chain. And the, um, the, the tagline was, if you like it, then you should have put an ASIC on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I love it. I love the jokes. Well, I'm happy you appreciate it. Um, okay, so great. Let's, let, we've established a little bit that uh, you are a musician. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, slash just about yourself more generally? Sure. So um, I, I began life as, a, as a, I'm the son of three managers in the music industry, mother, father, stepfather. Um, and my entire life, I was on tour with either a massive band or a tiny independent band, metal, R&B, hip-hop. 
uh, pop, you name it. And um, when I was about 14, I decided to create my own band. Wow. Thank God there was no YouTube at the time. What was the um, band called? Uh, well, there were many different band names, <laughs> but I'm not going to even give you a, a hint on where you can look <laughs> until it got fairly decent when I was in my in my uh, uh, mid to late 20s with a band called Marwood, M-A-R-W-O-O-D, um, uh, on all of the streaming services, etc. But what I realized was that um, uh, I was a music industry brat, um, uh, and then I got obsessed by MySpace early days yep. and started to hack MySpace to figure out how I could get more plays and more people out. So, like, I would get phone calls from record labels to come see my band because they'd seen all these MySpace plays, and I would let's yeah. just, like, put another million a day in or so. So, Wow, that yeah. is an interesting story. I was story. cheating. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I cheated. <laughs> but uh, um didn't get signed. So, And I had a couple of record deals, and I've seen basically – what what doing what I do is is means um, uh, I created a director a director fan company about ten years ago, mm-hmm. um, and spent the last ten years working on every conceivable way to get artists paid more, yeah. um, and the music industry has been disrupted in such a massive way, and it's been to the detriment of the independent artist, mm-hmm. uh, not to the major label artist, and um, uh, I just saw a, multiple ways that that could shake out. So I'm not a musician anymore. I'm a recovering musician, let's call that. Um, I still love music. I still listen to music. And I, I still iterate and work in the, you know, in the in the music tech space. But yep. blockchain sort of took over about four years ago. Yeah. So what uh, made you kind of turn to blockchain? So um, uh, I read a couple of articles on Bitcoin um, and sort of had this idea of, of wow, like, if you distributed ledger, if you, if, you, if you could create distributed ledgers whereby information was kind of corroborated in all places, mm-hmm. um, you could solve one of the biggest problems that the music industry has. And just to break it down, when an artist releases a, a, a song, they export it out of a digital workstation today. And it used to be from tape and then to vinyl, tape to CD, tape to cassette, you know, all, all those different mm-hmm. things. But what, what changed was songs became files. And the music industry wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. So what was phenomenal was you would take this extraordinary creative analog process and turn it into digital. And when you did that, the file format that you used was a WAV file, a .wav. So Mm -hmm. if you looked at your song name .wav, and uh, then it became the infamous your song name .mp3. Mm -hmm. And that was the real disruptor because it was very small, very movable. But both MP3 and Wave had one problem, which was that um, if you got one onto your computer, you could alter it mm-hmm. in every way, shape, and form. And I would watch this because at my previous company, you know, tens of thousands of artists came on the platform, millions of people, and we would be delivered these Wave files because that was the highest res version. Flack and others came in, and I noticed once that an artist's name was spelled wrong on their mm-hmm. own Wave file. So we just went. You know, command I on our computer, fix the name, boom. And suddenly that shook me and said, well, wait a minute. I just altered the genetic information of this creative work. Uh And the convergence of sort of distributed ledger technology um, uh, uh, kind of coming to the forefront, Ethereum launching, um, uh, and just sort of meeting some people in the space when I started to look. I said, wouldn't it be amazing if when I made an alteration to that, file, 
it, there was a change log, like a provenance trail. Mm -hmm. And so basically I researched it and the wave file is 27 years old. So George Bush the first was president when the wave file was introduced. The MP3 was under Clinton. So when we talk about modernizing music supply chain and you think about, you know, the amazing technology behind YouTube and Spotify and, you know, the huge heavy lifting, mm -hmm. they're going backwards in time 27 years every time they deal with the technology. Yeah. And so what the blockchain opened up in my mind was what if we created a protocol for media? Mm -hmm. And in the same way that, you know, you have a protocol that runs the web and protocol that you use email for, what if media had the same one? And so what if you could basically give artists the ability to digitally encode their rights information into their songs? And basically, I, I remember saying, I wish that there was a blockchain that didn't need coins, that yeah. didn't require money to make it run if, if there was another way. Yeah. Ahead yeah. of your time. And, and, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, because what happens is when you get the financial side in, involved, it becomes tricky. Yeah. Because, you know, the industry, music industry is 120, 30 years old. It's done things in a certain way. You know, the original um, money in music was in live. It mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, and then they, they said, well, why don't we capture these things and sell them as recordings in order to sell record players? That was the, the original plan. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it wasn't ready for digital. And I always say this, that, that, that music is now files and files go everywhere. I'm for the propagation of music files, yeah. but I believe that if I create something or anyone, girl or boy, creates something of value, that they should, that their information should travel with it wherever it goes. Yeah. And you can't do that today. That is so interesting because I'm thinking uh, about when I was younger. I know <laughs> this is probably the worst thing for me to admit, but I I used all those services that you like LimeWire. Yeah, LimeWire, yeah, of course. And that's that is terrible because you're not actually giving credit where credits due. I was illegally downloading. I would actually songs. argue. So so your point is taken, and but that's not. So whenever I saw people using Kazaa, Limeware, all those platforms, they mm -hmm. were showing desire. Yeah. You wanted media. There just wasn't a mechanism to get it to you in an efficient way because you didn't want to go to a record, you know, a CD shop yeah. and buy it and, you know, try and put it into your computer. And then when iPods came out, it was just, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. And the music industry, you remember, it, the height of the music industry was sort of Justin Timberlake era in sync. I think it was oh, 90, yeah. you know, and that was that was a $40 billion industry. And it mm -hmm. halved in size as digital took off. Mm -hmm. But the reason it halved is because the executives in charge of the industry shoved their heads in the sand and mm -hmm. said, no, we just need to get people to buy more CDs, not recognizing that, that, that that's over, it's done. Yeah. Um, and even now they're trying to keep the MP3s alive on, you know, that you would buy off on iTunes, et cetera, just to keep that last drip feed of money coming in. Mm -hmm. But when you, what you were doing on LimeWire, if there was a legal way to do it to pay X amount per month, I'm sure you would have done it. Yeah. It just was a question of if I wanted live Tom Waits, if I wanted live, you know, whatever your, your taste was. Um, uh, what was it, by the way? What my taste was? Yeah, what was, was your main thing you were, you were, you were torrenting back oh, in the day? Oh, I was terrible. I was so mainstream. Um, definitely some Britney. sync. you hit the nail yeah. on the head. My first concert ever was sync. My second concert ever was Britney so that, Spears. So, so that was the height of the music industry. And then yeah. it 
cascaded downhill from there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, look, innovation's painful. And uh, for me, I, I, I focus on sort of the angle of getting artists paid. But what yeah. when I saw my first sort of like deep dive within blockchain, and I remember going on a call with my co-founder who developed this thing for, for photography and Bitcoin using the Bitcoin blockchain. My brain just went, oh, it's doable. Mm -hmm. you, you can do this. And then it became about <laughs> going to the music industry who, remember, had said, oh, you know, there's nothing to this MP3 thing. Oh, there's nothing, you know, to this iPod thing. Oh, there's nothing to the, you know, the, the <laughs> newspapers. Oh, iPads? No one's going to want to read on an iPad, let alone a phone, you know. Um, <laughs> People read, like, books on yeah, their phones. Yeah, I know, now, like I know. And, and, and ironically, the .mobi file format is mm -hmm. hackable. And, again, we just haven't rethought the format. We've rethought the interface. We've re rethought the storage. We've rethought the pipes. But we haven't rethought the actual format. Mm -hmm. And so we your so what we did at our this company dot bc dot blockchain. I was going to say we almost went that entire time without even mentioning the name of the company. Yeah. I'm normally a better salesman than this. It's <laughs> terrible. No, it's me. St stick to music, pal. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I remember. Um, but to the point, uh, I got into blockchain because I saw that the gaping hole in the music ecosystem was the fact that you could create smart contracts. Mm -hmm. But if they disseminated WAV files or FLAC files or MP3 files, I could just alter them and reinsert them back into the same system. And then the other challenge was is that, and a lot of people don't know this, um, music files. Uh, so uh, the last Beyonce album had over 100 writer contributors. And songs are, are, are two pieces. 50% mm -hmm. of the song is the writer and the other 50% of the song is the performer. Mm -hmm. So when you hear a song by Beyonce, 110 people may have been involved in the making of it, all of whom are owed some money. Mm -hmm. And so if it's playing in a coffee shop, if it's playing in a bar, if it's playing on your phone, and commerce is being committed, whether it be ad tier or paid tier, money has to go to hundreds of different people. And today, mm -hmm. if I were to alter that file and enter it into the same system as my own, the system wouldn't know because it wouldn't see any provenance difference. What? It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, that is and crazy. And certain systems will listen for it, but yeah. others won't. So you just change it a little bit. And there are videos on YouTube on how to alter tracks enough to get them through. So SoundCloud has 130, 140 million remixes and mashups, mm -hmm. which has got a little piece of one song, a little piece of another, a little piece of on and on. And those create these complex, because if you were to take a bit of Beyonce, a bit of Katy, Katy Perry, some InSync from back in the day for you, <laughs> and some Bill Withers, you could have 140 separate parties, all of whom need to get paid every time that song is used. So wow. there's no real technology to handle that right now. They've just all bucket in some places and in other places they... You know, we'll, we'll do some pretty accurate accounting, mm -hmm. but it's all dependent upon these larger organizations getting a mass coordination of data right. Yeah. But, you know, for, for, the, for the blockchain fans out there listening to this, <laughs> there is no one, one place, public or private, to figure out who owns anything. And so if you, uh, some people would say, well, who cares, right? Mm -hmm. Well, think about VR, virtual reality. If you use audio and video in the same file, mm -hmm. you have to get the consent of the songwriters. Yep. 
So if you don't know who they are, you can't get permission, which means that you can't make your VR game. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go and try and license a thousand songs for VR from like you know bigger artists, it would take you a year and cost you about a million dollars minimum. Wow. So you can render an entire universe in VR faster than you can get permission from one of ABBA, right? Wow. Which seems kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's set up that way because we never had those use cases. Yeah. So um, the concept behind dot blockchain, behind what I've been doing for the last three, four years, has been this. What if there was a decentralized place that everyone could just go to and look up, well, who owns it? And then you could message that person and say, hey, I'd like to commit commerce with you. Mm-hmm. And you can do smart contracts and all those types of things on top. But this idea that you can do smart contracts in the music industry is kind of flawed because you don't know who the humans are. So yeah. how can you do a smart contract with 110 of Beyonce's team if you don't know who all 110 are? And, you know, newsflash, Spotify doesn't know who all of them are and YouTube doesn't know who all of them are because there's no... It's crazy. It's That's insane. so eye-opening. I never yeah. honestly would have thought of that. And, and, and the, the, the purpose of the project we're doing and the reason we're doing it is, is because if we allow artists to entangle themselves in their work and we've created an identity and authority model that, that, that really will allow for the distribution of this information in a way that doesn't prejudice... Um, the small ladies and gentlemen and, you know, and, and serve the, the larger com- companies. It has to serve everybody equally. Mm-hmm. We basically designed it as, well, what if there was like a digital shipping container? And into it, you put every version of the song as it's known and all the rights information. And you use a blockchain to synchronize the changes that occur over time. Mm-hmm. Therefore, when you go to this database, it will show you the latest state of truth. It's not the truth truth. It's truthiness in one sense. Air quotes are happening yeah, for people who Air quotes who can't. around truthiness. Um, uh, <laughs> Stephen Colbert, obviously. But, but the reason that, that we say it that way is, is because the parties to the song are the ones that know. Mm-hmm. But they have nowhere to convene to figure that out. So if you and I wrote a song today, you would maybe text your manager who would then tell your publisher and then your performing rights organization. Mm-hmm. And you could say, I own 70%. And then I could email my manager, who would then email my publisher, and then my PRO, who would say that I own 90%. Hmm. Both can't be true. But now, six to seven humans and other databases all have different information. So when it gets to Spotify or YouTube or Google, they don't know. They don't know which is correct. Because So do they call everybody? Remember, there's thirty to 40,000 songs uploaded a day. What? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. And each one of those has to pay out all those people. And then if someone covers the song that you and I wrote uh-huh. and then tries to put it in a VR game, they have to get our permission. How do they find us? That's very complicated. And this reminds me of when I was creating this podcast. Mm. I was like, I, don't, I can't get rights to any of these songs. And I didn't even realize that this would be applicable to today. Obviously, yeah. I should have put that together. But... I, uh, Sarah Lynch is someone on our partner team mm. and, and she plays the piano. I was literally like, can you just do something original? Because this is not worth all the effort trying to get and rights. And that, that there is the $100 billion statement that you just made. Woo-hoo. It's not worth the effort. Yeah. Because if you think about, um, uh, there, there are, I know, 50,000 independent artists that would love to give you a song for this. But to get to them is too painful. Yeah. 
And so what happens is you have to go for stock stuff, which means that, that you're getting lowest royalty rates, or you're going to go just get something. And yeah. no one would know. Quite honestly, if you think about it, who's going to check? Yeah. And, and, and that, that gray area sucks because there are, you know, tonight, uh, um, it's, it's a Friday night where, where we are. Okay, <laughs> um, so tonight there are going to be hundreds of independent artists playing in Manhattan. Probably like four or five hundred artists playing, all of whom could use a few hundred bucks that you guys may be able to pay to put in this podcast. Totally. But it would cost you thousands to go and try and figure out which yeah. one and where. And, and, and that's the problem. Whereas if you could go to a database, which was distri- you know, distributed evenly amongst everybody, and you could look for, I've got a budget of $1,000, I'm looking for this mood, this genre, this boom, 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 it will come back with options. And you could literally send a license to the song. It would split out the permission, come back to you, done. How can that not be there already? And there are yeah. services that do it. Uh-huh. But the services are, you know, again, I'm sure you looked and Googled, right? And then you sort of look like, oh, forget it. So the, the purpose of it is if that type of contract were built into the media, that would mean if you're listening to a song on Spotify or YouTube or Google or Apple, whatever it is, you could go to the .bc database, you know, open source, public benefit corporation that we are, and you could basically search and say, I want to use that. And you could message the owners and they would ping you back. Yep, you're good or no, you're not. You can have a chat within the song itself. It's like having, um, imagine like Slack meets email, but for every piece of media. It starts with music, then it goes to TV, film, books, because all of the, the, um, uh, the existing formats that we have were built before digital. Mm-hmm. And so even the newer ones, like ebooks, I mean, there were just, I remember Pirate Bay just had every ebook you could ever want and every mm-hmm. audiobook you ever want. And I kept saying, like, you're seeing demand. Yeah. But people don't necessarily want to go to one place and where they have to buy everything. They want, I just want that one or this one. And if it's not easy, commerce slows down. And that's why the music industry has gone from, you know, 38, 40 billion down to about 20 billion, while all the services like YouTube and Google and all which have built on the backs of music industry have skyrocketed. Facebook being one of the bigger ones. Wow. Well, I can almost guarantee that I would be the first person that would be reaching out to you guys because so the podcast is one thing, but even I've run into this a bunch of times with uh, we do some um, videos like our About Us video, for yeah. example, on the website, and I help with all that stuff. And it it's really time consuming to yeah. just find songs that I can use. Um, I, 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 when I was running my last company, Pledge Music, I would literally have music supervisors and editors call me up saying, hey, I need a song to be in the, in the bar in the background. And I've got 500 bucks. Like that's yeah. 500 bucks is getting an independent artist to the show and yeah. food. And sometimes that's the difference between making the show happen or not. And, yeah. and so the cool part about it, too, is, is that, you know, we all want to discover what's happening early on. We want to be there first. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, Music has traditionally been the most horrible place to invest. And what our hope is, is that with, with .bc protocol being open to everybody, you know, we're, we're smart about how it's deploying, is, is that anyone who wants to use music in any way, shape, or form can experience it in the way of their choosing. And it will always funnel back to the correct people. That's the goal. That's amazing. Well, so 
then in 10, 20, 30, let's say 30 years, what's your ideal like situation in the music industry? Just everything being like, do you think that there could be just one um, blockchain or one app that could have all of these things or, or coexisting apps? I, I, um, I, I, I can't say 30 years. I can say this. I think in, <laughs> I think in the next 10 years, um, uh, there will be um, a protocol for media. I think mm-hmm. I think that we have a we have a, a really good shot at it. We've designed yep. it from uh, the existing supply chain out. We've designed we've designed it so it helps everybody. There's no kind of person that, that doesn't win in this scenario. Yeah. But mostly, um, so when I look at it, I'd say this: there will be a way for you to query every song and message the participants of that song. Mm-hmm. And I think that in two to five years, you'll see usable versions like the early Gmails. You know, because cool. imagine imagine if you were to like, hey, I want to use a piece of video from that. Well, today mm-hmm. you got to go and figure out who owns it, Google, etc. Whereas if you could just message the media and say, hey, we would like to use this in this use case. And then in, you know, whoever owns it gets a message on their phone that says, yeah, this looks good. Boom. And hits yes. And then you've yeah. got it. So and the blockchain is going to track amendments and changes over time. So you can always see where everything is. So I think that there will be um, several blockchains. Mm-hmm. but they will serve different functions. I think one blockchain will be to show all the public data. Another one will be to show all the private data, you know, potentially. Okay. Another one will be the settlement layer, which is where the payments happen. I don't think that one to rule them all is yeah. going to be the way forward, which is different from, let's say, TCP IP or, you know, email protocols. Like, But then you have SMTP, POP3, and IMAP, right? So there, there are different ways or an exchange. There's different yeah. ways of doing email. I think that the programs will have to be will run on those common protocols. So I may use a music discovery app that uses three of those layers. I may okay. build my own though, because remember most of this will be open source, so I can build my own version. And I'll tell you why. A friend of mine was an iOS developer. He, he passed away last year, uh, but he was Sorry. this amazing guy. That's okay, thank you. And he was <laughs> um, he came to me once and he showed me this app he built. And it was like the coolest thing ever. It was like a, a way of discovering a local band that was playing in your town that sounded like something that you liked. And it was really simple. And he comes to me and he says, you know, I want to do, I want to get the music on. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. I said, well, to get all the content that you'd want from the larger, et cetera, it would probably take us, you know, a couple of years, maybe cost about, you know, 10 to $12 million to license. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> And I said, yeah, that's to do it legit, like to build like a, a, a another SoundCloud or Spotify, but that does this thing. And he said, I built this last night. He said, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. And I said, well, to do what you want to do because of the certain legality of the system, uh-huh. you had to basically get permission. And you know, most companies have to raise tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars to get that. And that. So in two to three years, that will no longer happen. You will be able to do tiered stage licenses that would mean that I can create a new app and license the content I need as and when, not all of it at once. Because that way I can go, I just need this, I just need this. Because you may need for your podcast 27 uses. Yeah. Not Four billion, but <laughs> but the way the licensing works, you have to think of all of them. And so, um, you know, the music industry has no operating system yet; it does the same thing over and over again. So that's mm-hmm. the bit I want to fill in: is all those blanks in the middle, and we see a decentralized database of music rights with 
synchronization at the file level as being the future. So in two, you know, and just so you know how the app works now, yeah. we've put these files into the existing streaming services. So you can listen to one of these files on Spotify today and call it up on your iOS device, and it will show you who wrote it, how to contact them. All of that's already built. We've done that part. Cool. The next part is, is just the, you know, the larger, larger integration frameworks, which is what we've been talking about. That makes sense. Here at R3 today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I learned so much that the just how many people, obviously it takes more than one person like Beyonce to create a song, but uh, I never think about all the rights and, and kind of paying out all those people with every yeah. use. Yeah. So interesting. Before I, I let you go, um, what are your thoughts? I'm so sad about Avicii dying. Do you have any thoughts? Do you care? Just because you're here, I thought I'd ask. I'm very upset about it. Um. Music industry is a very hard business, and people live very hard in it. And yeah. um, you you have to get used to the fact that artists are, are volatile creatures, which is mm-hmm. why we need to help them. Um, and what I'll say is is that I don't know the exact ins and outs, but I believe that there was mental health issues involved. There was. The really amazing thing that I found, I was part of a body called the Future of Music Coalition, mm-hmm. and um, I've been on uh, lots of... Um, I've been involved in lots of conversations, whether it's with the people with women in music and others, who are all looking at solving mental health issues. One of the things that that, that Avicii is one of the larger ones, but all the time there are younger, um, uh, vulnerable creatives who aren't built for business. Yeah, they're often built just. I mean, I, I've known drummers who could barely put their pants on every day. You just like no, no, you just have one leg after the other. You got it. Now, let's go play the show. Mm-hmm. But they could show up and do, you know, so I think a lot of times these artists are are um uh are vulnerable to um, you know, flattery and then let down, flattery and then let yeah. down. And I think also just you know, I've experienced this myself when you're on stage in front of a thousand people or 10,000 or whatever it is, you're the king or queen of the world, mm-hmm. when you come off that stage and the lights go down, that's a big come down. And mm-hmm. most humans don't experience that swing, whereas artists experience it kind of all the time. Yeah. So when you come off and you're walking around, 50% of you wants to be left alone. The other 50% of you feels odd that no one's paying attention to you. And so yeah. you do have that. But there are some amazing organizations within the Music Cares. There's a bunch of them who focus on mental health issues for artists. And I'll say this, that um, the basic principle I've had for the last 10 years has been if we can get artists paid, they can take better care of themselves. Yeah. And when the digital revolution came in, what that meant was a whole bunch of bigger artists were okay. They had a buttress against it, but the younger independents did not. And, um, you know, if you're making 35 grand a year touring, mm-hmm. right, that's going to be, you know, you're going to need to supplement it with some bartending or some teaching, whatever it is that you do. Yeah. If you take away the sales pipeline and you take away and you consider that like, to make a million dollars in streaming, you'd have to do 250 million streams. There's oh. 5,000 artists on earth that can do that. Oh. So it, it's becoming a zero-sum game. So we have to figure out the way to, to fill the middle up. And mm-hmm. I'm an investor and advisor to, to you know, multiple companies who are all focused on that side of things. Because if, the, if an artist is um, 
unstable or worried anyway, you pile on financial issues and you're going to compound the issue. Yeah. Sometimes giving them too much money is a problem as well. But, but that, <laughs> that, that's, that's a better, you know, you can afford better care in that case. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, we've done big drives just to get musicians insured. So for, if you're listening to this, pay for music. Yes. Uh, get off the free tier of whatever it is and pay for it. That, that is a helpful way. And then the other thing is, is if an artist does offer a, a physical product, even if you're going to throw it out, buy it anyway, because it is a piece of their career and it will help them to do better. Or better yet, have them sign it and stick it on your wall. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you. And yes, uh, mental health issues, is, it's really not a joke. It's really very, yeah, very, very sad. And I'm happy that you've... Um, explored some avenues to help musicians in that way. So thank you so much. Where can everyone follow you or uh, Dot Blockchain Media, sure. all that my, stuff? Uh, my, my Twitter is probably best, which is at Benji K. Rogers, B-E-N-J-I-K-R-O-G-E-R-S. And mm-hmm. the project is called the Dot Blockchain Media Project. And you can go to dotblockchainmedia.com. That's D-O-T-B-L-O-C-K-C-H-A-I-N-M-E-D-I-A.com. It's a real romantic uh, <laughs> URL, I know. <laughs> Hey, hey. Bye, bye, bye. Okay, I don't want to play too much of that because I don't want to get in trouble for any copyright infringement. But uh, thank you for listening to this episode. (laughs) I had a lot of fun talking to Benji and Todd as per usual. I have amazing interviews lined up for the next few weeks. Uh, So be sure to stay tuned and listen on your favorite podcast app or listen to it on all podcast apps because then we get more listens. And, um, And when my boss asks why I'm locked up in the studio all day, then I can give a really great explanation. Thank you so much for listening.